Hey, it's Shaleen. No music this time, because I have a very special request for you. I need you to go listen to the episode just prior to this one. The title of that episode is Conquer Your Past. This is a two-part episode. This is the story of lifestyle entrepreneur and former pro athlete, Lewis Howes. This is the part of the story where you learn how, exactly how, step-by-step how he was able to turn the tragedies of his childhood and his young adult life into the advantages that have allowed him to help millions, to find his purpose, to step into his greatness and help others do that too. First, I have to ask you to listen to episode number one. It's a pretty serious episode, but you need to go back and listen to that now. If you don't, you're going to be wondering why I start out this part of the episode in tears. But this is the turning point in his story. This is the hero story, and it has so much more power and impact and inspiration for all of us if you've listened to part one. So please, please, please do me that favor. Trust me. You want to listen to part one first. Now, part two, with my very special, very courageous, very generous friend, Lewis Howes. And to think then that, you know, you're five and you're thinking, gosh, you know, everything's unsafe. The whole world is unsafe. And you have all these other things, all these other messages in your head and and to have to deal with all that. And then your hero, which who I'm assuming felt like a protector. Yeah. Um, goes away to prison and you're how old when that happens eight wow i mean hi (laughs) talk about uh, how how do you find yourself like how do you become the person that you are today lewis how how because there's other people listening right now who i'm sure in tears because they've told no one their story that thing that haunts them they haven't shared that with the person that they're closest to what would you say to someone who needs to know that you can turn that into a life, mm. a, a moment where you take back and you take control of your life? And how did you do that? Yeah, well, I appreciate you for saying those things. I mean, you're making me cry right now. And <laughs> I, uh, you know, and I realized that I probably said it semi nonchalantly, like I was sexually abused and things like that. And, um, uh, I've been, you know, you know this, I've been doing a lot of work over the last year so that I've been able to feel comfortable to openly talk about it. But what was your question? Well, I guess at what point did you know, okay, this can no longer be a secret and I have to deal with, I have to deal with this. Here's what it is. After that, it was kind of like, I always was reactive to everything. And when I look back at my life, I, I would like to think that I wasn't in my 20s, but I was, you know, my ego was always reacting I would say in my core that I'm like extremely loving, just like everyone in the world is all love. But, uh, you know, I allowed my ego to put up a lot of walls throughout my entire life. And I still express love constantly. And that's where my come from was love. But ego and insecurities definitely were. Was it ego or were you protecting yourself? I mean, that's probably what it is. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if ego the ego that I need to protect myself or whatever. What do you mean specifically? Like what, what was the, cause I've only known you yeah. in, in the time since you processed through this, you know? And yeah. so what were you like before? I was still the same way, but I was probably more, uh, I was still like this fun loving, you know, want to hang out with people, want to achieve great things type uh-huh. of guy and attitude and energy. 
But I think my ego definitely came out a lot more where I was like, I tried to show that I was an important person or show that, or like prove to people that like I was, you know, that they should connect with me or or something, you know, it was like always this thing to prove. Prove your value? Yeah, prove my value. Like I mattered. Like, did you feel like as a child you mattered? No, I mean, I felt like uh, dirt. I pretty much felt like dirt my entire life until Mm. I was probably 13 or 14. Then things started to turn around when I went to this private school. Mm. And it was like I had a new beginning because I I was starting to develop into my body. And all in middle school, I was just like enough is enough of being kind of like emotionally bullied, I guess, let's say, and put down and made fun of. And so I just trained... Every, every day after school, all I did was play basketball and work out until mm. about nine or 10 o'clock. Cause I was like, enough is enough. I'm going to show these people that I'm better than them. And it's something. And sports was my outlet. So I took all this frustration from school of not being able to read and learning and, and being made fun of. And I was just like, I'm going to show the world what I'm made of and I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to be right. So I had this mentality of, I'm going to be right. You're going to be wrong. I get it. And screw you all for ever <laughs> doubting me that I couldn't do it and ever making fun of me. It was like basically trying to prove all the like elementary and middle school kids like wrong and show them up it was like my come from. Yeah. And uh, it was effective in the fact that I was very driven and very focused and was willing to sacrifice anything to achieve what I wanted to do. You know, in high school and college, I didn't have one sip of alcohol because I was people said I was going to be this jock, this college football, um, stereotypical drunk, this and that, and womanizer, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, screw you all. I'm not going to have one sip. I'm going to be focused and I'm Mm. going to make it uh, be a pro athlete. And uh, I was just willing to sacrifice anything to prove people wrong. Like it didn't matter. I was willing to sacrifice my own fun to prove people wrong. And, uh, And that didn't serve me. So when I, so for 25 years, to answer your question, for 25 years, I didn't tell anyone. I actually told one person. I went to uh, Minnesota State for a year to play football my freshman year. And I, the sociology professor, it was like 500 students in the class, like sociology 101 was talking about rape and sexual abuse Mm -hmm. in one of the classes. And it was like the only time I listened probably because I didn't (laughs) care about class. But something sparked to me right then. And I said, I need to tell this guy. Like, I didn't know him. I never met him. He didn't know who I was, but I went to his office after class and just said, hey, you know, I just wanted to talk to you about something. Here's what happened to me when I was a kid. And he said, you know, I'm really sorry this happened to you. And, uh, you know, I can I can probably tell you that he's, you're not the first person mm. that he did this to and he's probably done it again. Mm. And it's really, it's really sad. And I'm sorry that this happened to you. And I don't remember the rest of the conversation, but I remember it feeling good to like, tell one person, but he was like a stranger. Did it feel good that he kind of normalized it? Yeah. I mean, he was like, it's really messed up. You're not the, it's not you and you weren't the only one. Yes. Yes. He was like, I can guarantee you he's done that before. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. So that was good, but it was like, I didn't know this guy and it was kind of like too safe. So you didn't get therapy then. You just are still <laughs> no. dealing with all this rage inside. Ah, exactly. I was like, I need to prove the world wrong mm-hmm. that I'm going to be right. Um, And so for the next decade, 12 years, it wasn't until I was 29 where I did an emotional intelligence workshop. And I remember at one point during the workshop, 
people were sharing some crazy things about their experiences in their life. And the trainer was like, okay, we're moving forward in these experiences in the workshop and we're taking it to the next phase of this workshop. In order to do that, you need to let go of everything that you've been holding on to that hasn't been serving you in your life. Mm. Anything from your past, if you haven't talked about it, if you haven't said it, if you haven't expressed it in the way you need to, if something has been you've been holding on to, it's been holding you down, weighing you down, whatever that is, if you do not at least talk about it and bring it to the forefront right now, it's going to be holding you down for the rest of your life. Mm. And I remember, wow. and he was like, does anyone want to share? This is the last chance. And I remember thinking to my, like, I started sweating, my heart started <laughs> pounding. And I was yeah. like, I had felt like I had said everything I needed to do and that I was fine. And I was, I was like, my life is great. You know, I'm achieving success. I don't know why my heart is racing. <laughs> right. I was like, you know, my life's on fire. I've got a great business. I've got friends. I'm like this, this, this. But I was like, crap, if I really want to like take, like, you know, discover what is possible for me in my life and my relationships and everything, then I think I need to tell this to this room of like 50 people or whatever. Whoa. And I remember walking up and I don't think I've ever been scared in my life <laughs> to say anything. And I remember walking up and like, I calmly walked through, I couldn't look anyone in the, I remember this, I did not look anyone in the eyes during this process. I looked down at the ground in complete shame mm. and guilt and humiliation but I knew that it was necessary to at least discover and see what came up for me. And I started walking through the whole process, but I described it in detail. Wow. And I was like, I'm going to explain everything that happened. Uh, described it very graphically. Were you looking into the audience? Do you remember people's faces? I, I didn't, I looked down the whole time at the carpet. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I couldn't look, I couldn't look anyone in the eyes. You just wanted to get through it. Just knuckle through it. I just, I was, yes. And I was trying to be calm and not cry and, uh, you know, show that I was strong or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking back to my chair and right when I sat down, I don't think I've ever bawled this hard in my entire life. It was like 30 years of tears came out and- Yeah, just pushing it down. It was, uh, my body was like, I couldn't control it. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. And I remember running out of the room in shame in humiliation. Oh my gosh. Because I just felt like everyone knew my secret and um, what are they going to think of me now? And I remember I was outside of the uh, the hotel conference room and um, in like the, the alley by like, you know, whatever by the street. And I had my head against the, the fence by the alley and I was just like bawling and sobbing into this fence, like leaning against it with my head down. I just did not want anyone to look at me. Um, I felt much like a really bad human being. Did anyone follow you? I mean, it was almost like, so I never felt this much love in my life. Oh. And like so many people came, oh. women came up to me and were just like crying and hugging me. And then the, the men that I was like, the manliest men, then that group who were like father figures came up to me and looked me in the eyes bawling and telling me I was the most courageous man to like they've ever met. And so when people were expressing these things and telling me it would like slowly allowed me to like let it go and kind mm -hmm. of heal and be like, you know what? It's okay to, I don't need to be humiliated or I don't need to feel the shame and I don't need to hold on to this. No, it's not your shame. Yeah. 
And uh, I think it was that confirmation from other people saying like, you know, hey, we still love you and we still want to be your friend. That was like what I was afraid of my whole life was not having friends and not having people love me. Was there a relief in that moment? Yeah, I mean, I was still terrified mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I was kind of like hesitant over the next whatever few hours, but mm -hmm. it was definitely a huge release. I was just like, I was like, what do I do now? Yeah, you know, what's, yeah. I was like, now these people know, still my family doesn't know, my friends don't know. Yeah. So the people that really are important in my life, they have no clue about me still. So if someone is listening to this and they're considering going to someone safe and sharing this for the first time to just, and which I really think people should, mm -hmm. After you tell that person, what's the next step? Well, I think when you tell someone, you know, I was lucky to be in kind of like a safe uh, container to share mm -hmm. where other people were opening up about things as well. And it was, it was, you know, it was more safe. It wasn't like this, you know, no, you know, it wasn't like no one else was vulnerable. Everyone was vulnerable. And since I opened up about this on my podcast and I just had an article came out recently as well, a lot of people, like so many people have gone through similar experiences. And if you're listening and you've gone through a similar experience, you know, feel free to reach out to me if you want. I'm happy to listen. Um, you know, I'm not an expert and I'm not a, a psychiatrist or anything. So I can't really give you any advice. I can tell you what I would recommend for mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. is if you've experienced something like this or you know someone who has, um, just love on people. If you know someone who's, who's done this, just like show them you love and show them you love them no matter what. And I remember asking my brother, I, I was telling my family members one by one. Mm. Who were you the most um, fearful or nervous to tell? <sighs> I think my brother and my mom. Mm -hmm. And my brother, because he's, you know, my, my hero and, you know, my father, I, I can't really talk to that way anymore. So mm -hmm. because of kind of his... Uh, his, his brain. But, um, I remember asking my brother, I said, I want to tell you something, but before I do, is there anything that I could ever do in my life that would make you not love me? Cause I was like afraid that, you know, maybe he would stop loving me or, and I asked this to all my, my siblings, but he was the one I was scared of the most. Mm -hmm. And right away he said, no, absolutely not. It does not matter what you ever do in your life. I will always love you and still love mm. you. And I think, you know, it might've been a lot easier for him to say that because he'd been to prison and he felt so much shame from sure. letting down the family and, you know, having his own experiences. Of I can only imagine. The, the baggage, the, the, the weight that he carried during and after and, you know, probably still carries to some degree. So when I told him, you know, it was just uh, this connection with my brother, this intimacy that I've never experienced before. And it was so incredible and so freeing. And so, uh, I don't know, it was just like- What a, a relief, yeah. It's amazing, yeah. But I think asking the question, is there anything I could ever do that would make you not love me, mm. is a great question for someone to start with when yeah. they want to share something that they're really shameful of or humiliated by. That's great advice. Because it makes, it makes you go into a place that's logical. Like, yes. you know, we, we all have logic, but when emotion overtakes us, we we don't think logically. We don't we assume that you know someone's going to think it's a five year old little boy's uh, doing, which right. is illogical. But yet, when we're consumed by emotion, it's hard to have those thoughts. So I think a question like that pulls you back into thinking logically. Yeah, exactly. And then, 
how, you know, so you've, you've told your family, you spoke your truth for the first time. I told my family members, I told, and then I started telling a lot of my friends, like my close mm -hmm. friends. I was like, what are they going to think of me? Because what if I don't have any friends after this? You know, my family will stick by my side, but what if my friends are like, uh, yeah. who are you? You know, maybe they're not as open-minded. I started telling them one by one. And actually, one of the things that inspired me to even open up about it in the first place was my good friend, Robbie Rogers, who is the first openly uh, gay male athlete, professional athlete mm -hmm. to play sports. He plays with the LA Galaxy and played for the USA men's national uh, soccer team. He opened up about this and then came back and played again. And I remember just being so inspired by his courage. If he could do this publicly, then I knew, hey, I could do this as well. And um, so I started telling my friends and they started, you know, you know, it was all the same type of positive love and energy and amazing connection that we all created. And for about six months, I was like, I felt great. I felt like I was healing. I was going through it. I was like letting go of this anxiety. And just before this experience, actually, I got in this really bad fight on a basketball court where I let my ego overtake me and I basically put this guy in a hospital and like a fist fight you're saying fist fight like your anger got the best of you oh my god my anger got the best of me and the last fight I had when I was when I was 12 and mm -hmm. I actually just told this story recently because I'm, I'm writing a book right now and I I think the story might be in the book where I um you know I remember I was 12 years old and I was on the golf course greens cutting uh, the, the greens and okay. the putting greens. And one day in the summer after cutting the greens where all the grounds crew people were together, it was like a lot of teenagers. And I, we were like flicking grass with uh, rakes. We were like raking up grass and flicking it at each other. And me and this other guy cornered, kind of like circled one guy and flicked it at him at the same time. And when I turned around, he punched me in the back of the neck really hard. Uh -huh. And it was like my ego flared out because I always felt defensive. If I ever felt attacked, it was like I was going to attack you back. You're going to die. <laughs> You're going to die. And I basically, I mean, I put this guy in, I basically straddled him <laughs> with his arms down and just kind of like pummeling him like a, a UFC fighter style Yeah. until one of the guys, the kid took me off. And then I remember like running back to the clubhouse to uh, wash my hands because my knuckles were all bloody and like hurting. And then I, he walked back and goes, Lewis, what did you do? What the heck did you do? And I couldn't recognize his face. Wow. Because it was like a softball was sticking out of the side of his head. Wow. And his eyes were swollen and it was just blood everywhere. And I was just like, I couldn't believe what my ego and anger was capable of. Like you'd completely lost control. Completely lost it. Mm -hmm. No control. Like mm -hmm. my anger just took over. My ego of like needing to protect myself and like beat the world down for beating me or whatever, took over. And I told myself, I'm never gonna get in a fight again. And I never did until about a couple of years ago before I did this experience, this workshop. And I let my ego get the best of me. Like this guy was getting in my face on the basketball court and he headbutted me actually. And I literally just, it was like the same thing. It's like he hit me and it was like this lion came out and I remember doing pretty much the same thing, like putting him in a headlock and throwing him down and kind of like being on top of him, beating him. And then um, I remember getting up and he just had this huge gash over his whole forehead and the blood coming everywhere. And I was just like terrified. I was like, what did I do? What is wrong with me? Like mm -hmm. why? And I, and I was like, I live a great life and things are going well, but why do I react? 
why do I not have control over my ego or my or whatever? And then I went to this experience and realized, oh, wow, okay, this might be a part of it. And uh, it's been incredible ever since. It's amazing. Your story is amazing. And, you know, your podcast is called The School of Greatness. For me, I love listening to your podcast because you you can tell that you are a student and that you're, you are coachable. You're listening for those things that are going to make you better in your life. And because of that, you have this so many people who you have coached personally. And I know one of your practices that I love is not the perfect day, but like the ideal perfect day. <laughs> yes, so, ideal day. you know, I think a lot of people do this like perfect day where they picture themselves on a beach drinking a cocktail. And it's like, well, but the, that's not like I, ideal. So I love the way you do this ideal perfect day. Can yes. you walk us through that exercise? Yeah. So anyone that wants to, you know, whenever I like work with people, they're like, what are they're trying to like get to the next level. They have a dream or something. I always start off with this and I say, well, let's, let's visualize. And I want you to express to me what your perfect day looks like and what your, or your ideal day looks like. And obviously every day is different. And if you did the same thing every day, it would be boring because uh, the spice of life is what keeps us happy. But express in detail and write down what it looks like. So from the moment you wake up, you wake, you know, I would say that I wake up next to the woman of my dreams and I'm crying because I'm so happy she's with me and she's, <laughs> wow. in, and, and she's in love with me. Mm. And I, you know, snuggle and we, we kiss and we play, we're playful and, uh, and we wake up, we open up the blinds and the sun is just beating on us and giving us energy and life. We, uh, you know, we make breakfast. Um, then I do my workout and then I go into about three to four hour window period where I'm connecting with my team and we're creating inspiring information to change the world. And I'm meeting with leaders of the world and talking about ideas of how to impact uh, people in a positive way and walking through your entire day of how this looks and where you are. And that detail, that rich detail, just like even you describing your emotion and like yes. how you feel. And that's yes. really cool. Expre so express how you feel, write it down, like be a creative writer, like be a dreamer. Um, you know, where are you? What does your house look like? Your environment? Who are the people you're spending time with? Um, and write it out. You can write this out on a half a page or a page, or you can express it to someone that you're listening to with this right now. You can guys can practice this together. And and so do you work like three or four hours a day? Is that it, Max? You know, here's the thing. I feel like uh, my life is always play. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it, some people might say that right now we're working, but I don't really consider that. Right. I, I feel like we're creating and inspiring information for people. And for me, that doesn't feel like work. I mean, you have to imagine it was possible or it wouldn't be here. But isn't it just exciting to think that this is your life and it is possible for anyone who's listening? It, I mean, you know, I imagined it when I was a kid to have a life like this, like to have a free a freedom of uh, worrying about money and being able to be wherever I want to be and spending time with like inspiring people. But I didn't, I imagined it, but I didn't know how it would become possible. Exactly. It was like so far away and so unrealistic that I just had no clue that it was possible, but I imagined it and I would dream about it. I love that you just said that because I, I think people get caught up because they're not sure the exact path and they don't see it 
crystal clear. They can see it off in the distance and it's fuzzy and I'm not exactly sure what it looks like, but I know what it should feel like. And I often say that about myself. I I didn't know exactly how I would get here, but I knew what I would feel like and I could kind of see it fuzzy off in the distance. Mm -hmm. And that's all you need. Even if you just have a fuzzy vision of what you want it to look and feel, go after it. Right, 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 right. And I think the you know, I think the cool thing, what you just brought up for me right now, what you uh, what came up for me is now I see like how anything is possible and the exact path that I could get there from where I'm at right now, the level of things that I've achieved or whatever, because I feel like I've done it a few times and I know it's possible. But when I was younger, when I look, think back at it, like all you need to focus on is giving your best effort for the thing you want to do right then. Mm. And in that moment and like that season, you know, I, I focused a lot on seasons because, you know, if I'm playing football and our goal is to win the championship for those three or four months and I start thinking about what am I going to do in two years from now? What's going to happen next year? Or what's going to be happening in the basketball season? Like I'm going to start thinking about basketball. If I started thinking about the next season, I want to be giving my full energy and attention to what's happening right now. And because I emphasize that in my life to like, okay, these six months is what I'm focusing on, but I have a vision about in the future, but it's really this season. Mm. Because I do that, I feel like I'm always rewarded um, because I give my full energy and effort for each season. Phenomenal advice. And it's really important that people pay attention to what Lewis just said because we're so easily distracted and it's so easy for us to say or to look off and see that someone else is doing something else and we feel like gosh I'm supposed to be in the season of building my business and here this right. person's starting their family and you feel like you're supposed to be in all seasons at once because <laughs> right. we can see all those seasons but what you've just said I think is the secret to your success and many of the successful people that we know you have the opportunity with your show to interview the most inspirational motivational thought leaders in just about every arena have you figured out if there's one or two things that people who have achieved greatness have in common? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's, a, there's, I would say, eight common themes wow. that I've discovered so far. There's probably more, but I've kind of categorized them in eight themes. Give us a big two. I'll give you a few. Yeah. All right. The first one, the first one is vision. You know, I've got a lot of friends who think they know what they want, but they're not willing to put a hundred percent commitment in doing whatever it takes. Mm. And I always make the analogy, you know. If a gun was to your head or to the head of the person you loved the most and you had to get something done that you're really scared of, could you figure it out and make it happen in the time frame that you needed to do? And everyone says yes, but other than that, they don't think they can do it mm -hmm. unless their life is on the line or something, someone else's life is on the line. And I think the biggest leaders have a vision that they pursue with that mentality in mind. Like I must figure this out. I must do this and I can do it. Yeah, they're not thinking like, I need to do this or someone's going to die, but they have this purpose-driven energy and focus mm -hmm. that nothing can stop them and they will figure it out somehow and they'll do whatever it takes. And I think people just aren't willing to sacrifice that much pain, humiliation or rejection or no's or whatever it is, or you know, working out to get the results they want. Yeah. The second part of this process is learning to turn adversity into advantage mm. because with every huge vision, all the great, if you think of any great mind or athlete or business leader, whoever it may be, they all have incredible visions and have had to overcome amazing adversity, unreal 
stakes and adversity against them. And they've learned to develop the mindset and the will and the courage to overcome the adversity, whatever it may be. They've learned to figure it out, to move past it. And do you feel that some people are held hostage by their adversity? Oh, of course. I mean, I mean, we've all been victims in some area of our lives. I mean, I'm a victim sometimes when I try not to be, but sure. uh, you know, some people are stuck in this victim mentality where they're like, well, I can't do it because of this, or she broke up with me, he divorced me, uh, whatever. And so they get stuck and they make that their life story. Mm. Is this happened to me, so I'm never going to amount to anything mm -hmm. else. Or this happened to me, so I'm never going to find love again. Or this happened to me, so I'm never going to be back healthy again. So I'm just going to keep eating. Man, I know people are going to be rooting for you, Lewis. Um, tell us how we can become a lifer for Lewis Howes. Uh, <laughs> just, uh, Don't, don't you have know. a book coming out? <laughs> I do. Yeah. I mean, if you go to lewishouse.com, that's okay. L-E-W-I-S-H-O-W-E-S.com. Uh, you can, you can check me out there. I'm at Lewis House everywhere online on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. So anywhere you like to hang out, I'll probably be hanging out with you. And, um, I've got a book coming out later this year in October that I'm, I'm putting a lot of energy into right now. And I've got a very clear vision. And we, I want people to make sure that they are part of this. You know, really, it's cool to see somebody put their heart out there and be open and vulnerable and for them to be rewarded by doing such great service for others, which you've been doing so tirelessly. And I just have to tell people that um, this is a cool thing and we're going to make sure we do everything within our power to see that you are number one on the New York Times bestseller list when that book comes out, baby. So <laughs> can they do that by getting on your newsletter at your website? Yeah, of course. You can jump over there, lewishouse.com. You can sign up. It's free. And I send out, uh, you know, just free stuff all the time. So cool. would love for you to join me. And uh you're incredible, Shalene, and I. And your podcast is—I don't really listen to podcasts, but yours is uh, something that I want to listen to all the time. And thank you so much for creating such a comfortable space for me to share and uh, for for trusting me and bringing me into this community because yeah. I am just so inspired by what you are creating in the world and by your message and your commitment to love like mm -hmm. people don't know how loving you are and it's just amazing and i feel blessed mm -hmm. that uh you're in my life and we're friends so thank you so much yes i thank god i think because i always believe it's a god thing when it's like you meet someone who you're not even sure how you found each other but you just love their spirit and what you did for us today was a gift so thank you lewis thanks for having me on i appreciate it Amazing. Am I right? Was that a gift or what? Unbelievable. Now, if you broke the rules and you listened to episode two without listening to episode one, go back and listen to episode one now. Lewis wanted me to make sure that I brought awareness with this episode to an organization that's near and dear to his heart. The organization is oneinsix.org, and that's an organization that helps victims of childhood sexual abuse to recover, to find resources, to bring awareness, and of course, for support. Now, if the message in episode one or two triggered something in you, I want to make sure you do something about it. I mean, the potential for you to be great and to let go of the baggage from your past, to move beyond it, to conquer it, and to find greatness, to turn your adversities into advantages, really starts with 
getting help, talking to somebody, opening up, and knowing that when you do that, you just just make people love you more. Secrets destroy us. The shame is not yours to carry. I can't think of anyone who I would rather see hit the New York Times bestseller list. Are you with me? I mean, let's get on this train. Let's help this guy out. Brett and I are committed to making sure you remember Lewis, that we reward him for his vulnerability, for his courage, for sharing his story and his greatness with others. I hope that you will do the same. If you're not already subscribed to his podcast, come on now. School of Greatness, go to iTunes or Stitcher and you can download his podcast. It's a fantastic show. Let's return that gift to him because I know he touched your life today. And I so appreciate you sharing this message with others. So email it to somebody, text it to them, let them know how powerful this message is. If one in six people were victims of childhood sexual abuse, think of all the people in your life and how many need to hear this message. And I promised Lewis that I would forward your voicemail messages about this episode. So if you'd like to leave a personal message for him, you can go to shaleenjohnson.com forward slash podcast and record your voice note there. And of course, you can hit him up on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter. But most of all, just give him your love and support. Lifers, you are the bomb.com.